Welcome to the Honduras Now podcast. I'm your host, Karen Spring. I'm a human rights activist that has lived and worked in Honduras for 11 years. And this is the Honduras Now podcast that shares human rights stories and connects them with global issues and North American policy. Thanks so much for listening and welcome. Dicen que soy voluble, que no siempre ando del mejor humor. So first and foremost, I wanted to report that the launch went really well. I'm super happy about it. Thanks to everyone for tuning in and for sending suggestions for episodes they'd love to hear in the future. Now, I know that the news is totally dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's possible that people are really sick of hearing about it. But I need to give you an update and an overview of what is happening with COVID-19 in Honduras, since everybody's talking about it in the country. Cases continue on the rise, and public and social security hospitals are full, beyond full, actually, including the main and largest public hospitals in Tegucigalpa, called Hospital Escuela, or the Teaching Hospital, which reported on July 4th as being at 110% capacity, and also the largest public hospital in the other major city, San Pedro Sula, is at 141%. Now, Honduras is a small country, and by now, most people know someone in their immediate family or in their neighborhood that has the virus. As of yesterday evening, July 9th, Honduras has reported 26,384 cases of COVID-19, and 704 people have died from the virus. This is information reported by the Honduran government, but a lot of people regard the data reported with mistrust and suspicion. A few weeks ago, President Juan Orlando Hernandez also reported he had COVID-19. The Washington Post, the LA Times, CNN, and other international media reported that Juan Orlando Hernandez and the First Lady tested positive around June 17th. But in Honduras, because of the political situation, the lack of legitimacy of the government, few believed him. Some called for Juan Orlando Hernandez to seek treatment in the public hospitals, like everybody else, instead of the fully stocked military hospital where he has the best medical team and supplies. Apparently, Juan Orlando Hernandez has recovered from the virus, leaving the hospital last week around July 2nd. Today, I want to talk about how Honduras is battling two pandemics, one that has been going on for many years and is making the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic even worse. The other pandemic that Honduras is battling is a corruption pandemic. And this week, Honduras is going through another moment of outrage as corruption scandal after corruption scandal is revealed. The outrage centers on the $749.2 million approved by Congress or loaned by the international financial institutions to manage the COVID-19 pandemic. Hondurans are using the hashtag, Donde esta el dinero, or where is the money, painting it on the side of their cars, on protest signs, and on graphics circulating on social media. Honduran physicians and healthcare associations have really become one of the most vocal groups against the second pandemic that Honduras is going through, possibly because they live, see, and breathe the impacts of corruption as they attend day-to-day to the COVID-19 pandemic in the hospitals and clinics around the country. But this week, physicians did something really bold. This week, they took on the powerful sweatshop industry, and it's been a controversy discussed a lot this week in the country. One of the epicenters of the pandemic is the northern San Pedro Sula region, right where all the foreign and Honduran-owned sweatshops are located. 
A lot of the foreign sweatshops, like production plants for U.S. apparel companies, Delta Activewear, Hanes Brand, Pride Manufacturing, and VF Corporation, which apparently supplies brands like Timberland, Vans, and others, and also Gildan Activewear. Some of these companies have multiple factories and all house their factories in special import processing zones in San Pedro Sula and also in smaller cities around San Pedro Sula. Gildan Activewear is based in Montreal, Canada. It's publicly traded on the Toronto and the New York Stock Exchange. Delta Activewear is located in Greenville, South Carolina, and it's also traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Fruit of the Loom is also a company operating in Honduras, and it's a parent company of multiple brands like Russell Brand, Jerseys, Spalding, and more. Fruit of the Loom is actually owned by a parent company, Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by U.S. billionaire Warren Buffett. Berkshire Hathaway is the eighth largest publicly traded company in the world. Now, I'll delve more into the sweatshop industry in another episode, but I just wanted to give some context and make some U.S. and Canadian links. So these factories are mostly making clothing, t-shirts, underwear, basic, plain clothing. There are other factories, obviously, producing other goods like car parts. For example, the Lear Corporation, which operates also in Ciudad Juarez in Mexico and has also had serious issues with COVID-19 infection rates inside their factories in Mexico. When the Honduran government started the intelligent reopening of the country in late June, the sweatshops were allowed to reopen under the condition that they did not operate at capacity and that they implemented biosecurity measures. So while the infection rates were skyrocketing, the intelligent reopening started and the foreign and Honduran-owned sweatshops began to open up and call their workers to work. But Honduran physicians this week said, no, no way. We can't work in dire conditions in the hospitals while sweatshops are free to operate, call in their workers, and thus spread the virus in their factories. The doctors logically, but boldly, because of the economic and political power of the sweatshop industry in Honduras, proposed to close the sweatshops down. In fact, some leaders of the Honduran Medical College said, shut the sweatshops down or we, the doctors, will shut the hospitals down. Here is a report by Honduran media station UNETV outlining the position of physicians in northern Honduras. Then you will hear UNETV's interview with Dr. Samuel Santos, the vice president of the Honduran Medical College in northern Honduras, in a press conference on July 5th. Esta propuesta... The proposal is the total closure of the municipalities for three weeks, including the sweatshop industry that have been given permission from the government to operate, but is where many cases are concentrated. This is where the number of cases are multiplying, according to what the medical college is saying in the meeting here in San Pedro Sula. Let's listen to the proposal by Dr. Samuel Santos. San Pedro Sula, Villanueva, La Lima, Choloma, Progreso, Pimiento, Porterrillos, Quimistan is where the sweatshops are concentrated and where there are more than 17,000 people working and they are producing 30% of the COVID-19 cases. They are not closing the sweatshops because when a worker gets sick in the sweatshops, the companies immediately contract another person to take over the infected person's work post. For these reasons, we are demanding the closure of the areas where the sweatshops are. I asked Maria Luisa Regalado, the general coordinator of the Honduran Women's Collective, or CODEMU by its Spanish acronym, about the Honduran Medical College's demands of closing down the sweatshop industry. 
The Honduran Women's Collective works with Honduran women working inside sweatshops and focuses a lot of their work on occupational health. Now, I really like Kodemu. On their days off, obviously pre-COVID-19, sweatshop workers would come to their offices to hang out, sit, and discuss the issues they face as workers, receive workshops about women's rights, occupational health, and just hang out and socialize. I've been in both of their offices, one in Shaloma and the other one in Villanueva. The women are so welcoming and warm, and they take care of one another. When a worker is fired because she developed an occupational health issue inside the factories, she loses an essential, if not her only, source of income for her family. I did my master's studies with Kodemu. I spoke to many women and heard their stories about what led them to work in the sweatshops in Honduras and also began to understand just how much these companies take advantage of poverty. The more a worker fights for their rights, the bigger the threat they become to the company, and the company finds so many ways to fire them. The threat of losing your job in Honduras is an overwhelmingly powerful deterrent to denouncing what's going on, and the foreign companies know this. The bosses will actually say, If you don't want to do that, then there are lines of people outside the factories that are ready to do the job you don't want to do. Jobs are really hard to come by in Honduras. And as Kodemu says, we want jobs, but we want jobs with dignity. Kodemu takes on battles that publicly seem like one worker's rights, but that behind the scenes is not only about trying to get that fired woman's job back, but about supporting her through her trauma from rape, abuse, and extreme poverty. This is Maria Luisa Regalado of Codemu in an interview. She began by talking about the Honduran government's efforts to coordinate an intelligent reopening of the economy in late June and about what's going on inside the sweatshops. To start, the maquila workers, a good percentage of them, have always been working even when operations were suspended. Then the intelligent reopening started. But what we understand is that 90% of the working population in the factories were working. Many of the workers that we work with are sick with serious problems related to coronavirus. On the one hand, the maquiladora companies are not implementing biosecurity measures, and there is no supervision by the authorities. The Ministry of Labor, since March 15th, closed its offices and the offices remain closed. Workers have suffered serious violations to their rights and there aren't places where they can go to denounce these abuses. There have been terrible violations of their rights. The Makila owners have done whatever they want and they know that there aren't any authorities that can oversee or supervise what these companies are doing. I asked Maria Luisa if workers are in fact getting sick. How are these U.S. and Canadian companies handling it when workers get COVID? Estamos nosotras recibiendo denuncias casi constantemente de trabajadoras que... We are constantly receiving complaints from workers that insist that they have symptoms of the coronavirus. Headaches, fevers, body pains, a bunch of problems. And they tell their immediate bosses and they aren't sent home. Sometimes they are given acetaminophen and sent back to work. There have been cases where a worker gets very sick when they are sent home, but there isn't any public transportation and they have to figure out how to get home. There have been pregnant women that are working in the factories. There was once 
it's a case of a worker that the social security hospital sent home to quarantine. Then the company called her and told her she had to get back to work even though she hadn't finished her quarantine. She told them she was told she had to quarantine, but they told her to come into the factory and that the company's doctor would evaluate her. We are very worried, and not just us, but also the medical association and the Honduran Medical College. The problem with not shutting down sweatshops, according to the doctors, is that we're going to see a catastrophic situation in two weeks. The governor of Santa Barbara said the same thing, that 30% of people going to the hospitals in Santa Barbara come from the sweatshops. So how is it possible that the authorities aren't doing something about this? It means that if there is a high level of infection, it's because there aren't biosecurity measures, and that's what the workers are telling us. Many say that the companies aren't respecting prevention measures. I know these horrible working conditions in the context of the pandemic are also playing out in the United States. There are big companies operating in different cities of the U.S. that are doing the same thing to their workers, and it's a major problem. But it's a different context in Honduras. There really isn't any recourse for Honduran workers. The justice system doesn't work, and foreign companies have a lot of power for a variety of reasons. I will definitely touch on these issues and these reasons in a later episode. But to stay focused on how the pandemic is unfolding in Honduras, let's talk about the healthcare system. Honduran doctors and medical associations have become the most vocal, not just about the sweatshop industry, but against the government, its management of the crisis, and the horrible conditions inside the hospitals and COVID-19 treatment centers in different parts of the country. As Honduran hospitals collapse, an increasing number of healthcare workers fall ill and die from COVID-19, Dr. Suyapa Figueroa, the president of the Honduran Medical College, explains the dire situation of the hospitals on July 6th in a press conference in Tegucigalpa. The healthcare system, in light of its ineffectiveness, is practically not working. In reality, our colleagues in healthcare about 40% are withdrawing from work because they're sick. They have pneumonia or COVID-19, a large amount of personnel. If we continue in this situation, there will be a bigger collapse of the healthcare system and people won't be dying even at the doors of the hospital, but they will die at home because the system collapsed days ago and the authorities haven't done anything to alleviate the situation. In another interview, Dr. Figueroa talks about why she thinks certain businesses are being closed during the pandemic and others aren't. Dr. Figueroa speaks to the Honduran press outside a hospital in Tegucigalpa. It's without doubt that you can't open the economy just to favor the privileged or the groups that are always favored in this country. But they close the street markets. But why don't they close the supermarket chains? Because they are owned by the economically powerful, the people that really run this country. But the people that need to sell and buy in the street markets, no, they make them close. And they close them in the worst way possible, through pressure, sending the military in, throwing tear gas at them. But why don't they close the big supermarket chains in the same way? This is the big question. Who really runs this country? It's pretty amazing when doctors, and not just a few here and there, but like entire associations, take the side of the people. It's rare to see that in the United States and Canada. 
The awareness of Honduran doctors of the suffering of the majority for years has turned the doctors against the government, who continues to refuse to actually work with the Honduran Medical College to manage the pandemic. Pictures and videos are circulating of the public health care system in Honduras, which is where people without social security coverage go if they get COVID-19. The Honduran government purchased military-style tents to place outside the hospitals as treatment centers and overflow patient areas. Some of these tents don't have walls, and when it rains, patients get wet as they lie next to flooded streets. In these hospitals, people have to largely rely on their families to purchase the things they need, medications, food, and oxygen tanks if the hospital runs out. See, corruption and the international support for this corruption has been a major problem, especially in the healthcare system well before COVID-19. Let's hear again from the president of the Honduran Medical College, Dr. Figueroa, who focuses on the Honduran government's role. And then I'm going to connect it with money that's been given to the Honduran government since COVID-19 started. This is Dr. Figueroa speaking to Honduran Press in Tegucigalpa. They have definitely treated the funds destined to attend the emergency like a piñata, that in this moment, thanks to the lack of attention, thanks to the acts of corruption, thanks to the delay in the purchasing of supplies, to the fraudulent purchases, people are dying in the treatment tents, and they are dying in the most inhumane and degrading manner that could ever exist. There are long lines at the INFOP emergency treatment centers and all places that have been designated to attend to patients where there isn't even basic supplies to assist my compatriots that go there for help. They are really disgusting, the people that stole the funds definitely don't deserve anything else except to be in jail, to be exhaustively investigated by impartial people, but unfortunately we don't even have that in the justice system in this country. Right now, no one can guarantee anything in this country, absolutely nothing. If you come to a treatment tent, you aren't going to find oxygen or anything. If the government puts up another tent, which is just a show, you're not going to find the supplies. Look at the INFOP treatment center. The system collapsed there this weekend. Even if you have money, you won't be able to access a hospital right now. Even if you have medical insurance or the money you need, you won't receive attention. Now let's zoom out a bit. Dr. Figueroa makes it clear that the corruption and awful conditions of the healthcare system have been problems that have been going on for a while. She also says that the justice system doesn't work and doubts that corrupt officials will be held accountable or be investigated. This has been going on for a very long time. In fact, the corruption schemes seem endless and just pile onto years and years of more corruption. And the United States and Canadian governments know this. The international financial institutions know this as well, and they keep sending money and politically and financially supporting the government. For example, I think it was in late May, the U.S. State Department certified Honduras, which means continuing the flow of millions of dollars to the Honduran government. To certify Honduras, the State Department, through the Deputy Secretary of State, signed a document that said, I hereby certify that the central government of Honduras is combating corruption and impunity, including prosecuting corrupt government officials. 
And this is simply untrue. And everyone knows it. And it's not just a problem that started, like I said, yesterday. It's been an ongoing problem for several years. So let me give some examples of how it's a systemic problem and how the U.S. and Canadian governments and the international financial institutions basically join in and are a huge part of the problem. So how much money has the international financial institutions given to the Honduran government since COVID-19 started? Well, the World Bank has given so far $139 million, and the International Monetary Fund has made $143 million available to the Honduran government. A lot of the World Bank's budget comes from your tax dollars. Each year, the United States and Canadian government assigns millions of dollars to the World Bank to loan to countries like Honduras. $20 million that the World Bank recently loaned to Honduras was specifically handled the COVID-19 pandemic, and it was put under the management of the government institution called the Honduran Strategic Investment Office, or INVEST-H, by its Spanish acronym. Now, in Honduras, in the last few months, INVEST-H has been one of the most scandalous government institutions, and it has been named endlessly in corruption cases surrounding money that was given to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Most of the corruption scandals are related to purchases of medical supplies for Honduran hospitals. So in one corruption case, it was found that INVEST-H paid $2.35 million extra as part of overvalued contracts to Honduran medical supply companies. It was purchasing N95 and disposable surgical masks. Now, who did InvestH buy these masks from? Honduran medical supply companies owned by family members of the National Party and the National Party congressional representatives. InvestH basically gave $2.3 million in public funds to a few companies through overvalued contracts. Now, InvestH is the government institution that the World Bank and other international financial institutions are doing business with. The World Bank knows better than anyone who they're doing business with, yet they continue their support, their financing, and their presence in Honduras. And they've done so for years. They are a huge part of the problem. So while Honduras incurs public debt from these loans, Hondurans are dying on the sidewalks outside the public hospital system that doesn't have the capacity, the supplies, the masks, the medical personnel, the infrastructure, or the political will to manage the crisis. While things get more and more difficult in the country, without a doubt, it's hard to stay positive and hopeful. The situation is definitely bad. Like the Honduran physicians, though, the social movement keeps making demands and protesting in the ways that they can. The doctors are organizing caravans to make it known that they are not in agreement with what's going on. And it's not all bad. There are some pretty cool projects happening to help support families and communities that need help during the crisis. For example, Honduran women around the country are organizing food distribution programs, especially in urban areas. There are tremendous efforts being made to join collectively to respond to the crisis. That wraps up the episode for today. Thank you to everyone again for listening. I'll be posting this episode's show notes on the podcast website, HondurasNow.org. I will also post a summary of the corruption cases that I mentioned related to COVID-19 money on the website as well. All the music that I use today is from the lovely and talented Honduran singer, Carla Lara. I'm your host, Karen Spring, signing off for another week. Thanks again for listening. 